0: Hello? Is this thing on? Uh, Hello? Mic check, one, two. Mic check, one, two. Uh, Welcome back. My name is Daniel Rogers. Nice to meet you. It's been a while. Here we are, though. Uh, Just to say what's been going on, I was diagnosed uh, quite quite a while ago with anxiety and uh, severe anxiety and moderate depression. And I go through seasons, and the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And when I hit one of those low spots, I just lose all of my willpower. I don't want to do anything, but play League of Legends, and watch Ted Lasso. So I've been feeling pretty poopy here lately. Shout out to my Lasso fans out there. Uh, But anyways, I, yeah, you feel like Isaac McAdoo has kicked the ball right through your heart. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, that's what's been going on. And so uh, around about May, the end of school year, I finished school and just like crashed. Haven't felt like doing nothing. I haven't felt like doing podcasts. I haven't felt like writing articles. I haven't felt like doing much of anything besides preaching, hiking, uh, kayaking, uh, going to church camp, hanging with the fam, playing a little Leo legends here and there. You know, it's just stuff you do. I still don't feel like doing anything. I'm only doing this because uh, I got a friend who's like, hey, it's been a while since you've done a podcast. You should do one. Hey, it's been a while since you've done a podcast. You should do one. So here I am. We're not going to talk too much about that, but I want to let you know that because, uh, you know, even if you know, even if you know about the peace and the grace and the love that you have in Christ, it still doesn't eliminate the problems that we deal with in our day-to-day life. And I'm still going through some stuff. And uh, yeah, I've also got some stuff I want to talk about that I can't talk about. Uh, that's complicated. Oh, well, we're not going to dwell too much on that, are we? All right. Let me go through some questions you guys had, because I asked you on April 28th if you had any questions, and uh, you gave them to me, and I didn't answer them. <laughs> so here they are. Step one, how to overthrow an eldership. Now, this is a joke question. I hope you know. It's a joke, but it's not a joke. It's a joke in that overthrowing is not really the language that you know one would use seriously in this situation. And she does say it's not directed at certain elders. But what the question that I pick from this, the question beneath the question, is if elders are not fulfilling their roles. What do you do? Well, I think the first step is rehabilitation. I never think the first step is is firing or overthrowing. Okay. Um so I think the first thing you do is is you try to you try some rehabilitation. And what 1 Timothy kind of outlines for that is uh what well, do not receive an accusation against an elder except for two or three witnesses. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And so what you would want to do is if an elder is not ruling well, to use the language of 1 Timothy five seventeen, then they're not worthy of double honor. <laughs> uh, but anyways, if they're not ruling well, then what should you do? You have an accusation. It says never accept an accusation against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. If you've got two or three people who they they, they kind of sense a pattern, something's going on here, you know, it's time for those two or three people to go sit down and talk to the elders or the elder and be like, hey, this is what's going on, this is what we see, what do we do? And probably a good pattern to follow would be that one in Matthew 18 like, hey you know you know this was going great, but to be honest, you know we see that these shortcomings and when we look at elders in the scripture and we look at what you're doing, We don't really see a lot of similarities. (laughs) And so something's off. What what can we do? You know. But this is not something that you do to take power like usurp authority or whatever. This is something that you do out of love. And you do it because you want the church to be built upon a solid foundation. And while Jesus is the cornerstone, the scripture talks about, like in Ephesians three and Ephesians four, about how there are certain roles that one has within the congregation that assists in the building up of the church and if someone is in a role that shouldn't be in a role then a conversation needs to be had. So this this comes through love, it comes through patience, it comes through having a conversation and it comes from multiple people, not just not just one person with an agenda. And not two or three people with an agenda, but two or three people who are honestly concerned about the uh, the elder in question. And I think it's important also that that they come at this not from we want to get our way and we're not getting our way, so let's kick this guy out of there so we can get our way kind of thing. But it's more of a, man, this this man, ugh, man, he loves God. Wow, yeah, he loves God and he he loves truth and he wants the best for this church, but he maybe he doesn't see that what he's doing isn't best for the church as a whole. And so they go to him out of love to talk to him and then... Maybe bring that before the other elders too to like see what see if others have perceived what they perceive. All right. Okay. I also want to point out, by the way, and I'm gonna I'm gonna post an article about this. There's different qualifications for the elders in First Timothy three as there are in Titus chapter one. One of the reasons for this is the the purpose of the letters is different. Timothy is stationed in Ephesus and there's already elders in Ephesus. Acts chapter twenty verse twenty eight. Uh, the The Spirit has made you overseers over the church of God, right? Uh, Paul said that the elders at Ephesus laid their hands on Timothy to get him in his job, to put him in his role, to ordain him for the ministry. And what Paul says, if someone desires the office of a bishop, now I've heard preachers say the first qualification is that they must desire the office of a bishop. Well, that's not really entirely true. And I, they should desire it, but what he's talking about in 1 Timothy is, y'all have already got elders, so if somebody wants to be in it, this is the kind of person that you kind of want to look for. Titus is a little bit different, because in Titus chapter 1, it's, hey, I've left you in Crete so that you could finish what needs to be done, and what needs to be done is you need to appoint some elders in every town. And here's who you, here's who you do. Uh, here's who you appoint, someone who's blameless, married only once, whose children are believers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's important. Uh, But notice the qualities are different between the two chapters. You might say, oh, well, this person's not married, so they can't be an elder. That's not necessarily true. And the reason why is because these qualifications aren't like a list, a checklist that you go by. Otherwise, who could even be an elder, (laughs) right? But it is describing the kind of person that would be a shepherd, right? Someone could have all these qualifications and not be married, Right? so they don't have any kids, they could still be a shepherd because they're the kind of person that would fit that position well. Right, And so if someone doesn't have one of these qualities, like maybe they're working on it, they could still be a shepherd because this is describing more of the kind of person than it is a list of things that they have to get perfectly at all times in order to be a shepherd, and if they miss something, then they're out. Right, So I think that's important in talking about all this because we're not looking for perfect people. We're looking for people who follow... Uh, God to their best of their abilities and everybody's gonna fall short, some, right? Yeah. Okay, uh Josh asks, What if we ventured in a little deeper regarding the working of the Holy Spirit? And I would love to do this a little bit more. But I think that we ought to liberate the Holy Spirit from our interpretation of scripture. What I mean by that is, I was raised with the view that the Holy Spirit only dwells within the individual through reading the Scripture. What that means is, the Holy Spirit only dwells in the individual through my interpretation of the Scripture. I think what that does is it takes the Scripture and it turns it into the object instead of a subject. That is, it makes it an object of our study, an object of our experimentation, of our interpretation, of our digging deeper the plain reading of the text, instead of allowing the Scripture to read us, which is what it's designed to do. The Holy Spirit does work through the text, but the Holy Spirit is not subservient to the text. Uh, The the Holy Spirit works in our lives apart from Scripture. And so I believe that uh, you read Romans chapter 8, read other passages, if you're not led by the Spirit of God, you're not a child of God. That's a pretty big deal. And not everybody at Rome had miraculous gifts. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that he wanted to go to Rome to impart some gifts within them. So there's something that the Holy Spirit does in your life apart from Scripture, apart from like, just having miraculous gifts, tongues and healings and whatnot. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life is sanctifying you, is making you into the kind of person that is like Christ. And he's producing fruit in your life. Right? Love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, patience, etc. From Galatians chapter 5. I do want to go deeper into the Holy Spirit, Josh, uh, but we'll get to that at another point. Another Josh asks, Why doesn't God answer? Oh my goodness, if I knew that, I wouldn't be absent for the past two months, huh? Um, why doesn't God answer? Maybe we're not asking the right questions. <laughs> Uh, maybe James four says we ask questions to consume them upon our own lusts. I don't know. That's, that's your, there's your stock answers, but I'm not satisfied with that. Are you, Ugh, I don't know, Josh. Can I answer that that way? I don't know. Uh, Jared says, Hey, can we talk about contemplative practices in the Christian tradition? Uh, James Finley might come on to discuss Thomas Merton. You know, I like that idea. Um, I've got actually someone that I follow. Uh, his name's not James Finley, his name is John Sweeney, I think, and he's written some books on the contemplative tradition, and I'd like to bring possibly him on, or maybe the one you mentioned, to talk about Christian spirituality. That's some really good stuff in there. Okay, then I got a lot of questions from Ben. Uh, let me see. Hmm, <laughs> let me see what I can answer. I might hold off on some of these. Um what is the entire concept of the Scriptures? The Scripture's role is to open your eyes to how God has already been working in your life, how the Christ stands beside you and aids you and assists you and works through you, and how the Spirit dwells within you, transforming you into the kind of person that God intends for you to be. The Scripture's role is to open your eyes to that and to transform you as well, because God works through his scriptures. The scriptures are God breathed. So I think that's the role of the scriptures. The scriptures are not a rule book. It's not a science book. It's not a math book, it's not a history book. It's not a uh, it's not a fortune-telling book. The Holy Spirit is a, is a library of poems, stories, some laws, yes, letters, visions intended to transform the person into the image of Christ and to open them up to all the ways that God has been already doing that in their life, even before they even picked up scriptures. Number two, does God's will for mankind in the beginning still hold today? Well, What I mean is, does God want his intended will in the beginning to be valid today? I think that's talking about, I don't know what specifically Ben had in mind, but for example, the directive in Genesis 1 to procreate, to fill the earth with our little babies. Uh, I don't think that's God's will for mankind today. I think that he would like for us to (laughs) make babies, but I don't think that's how children of God are made today. Children of God, according to John 1, do not come through the will of the flesh, but come through faith. And whoever believes has right to become a child of God. So I think that the way that we repopulate the earth with little sons of the co- sons and daughters of the covenant, is not through procreation, but is through spreading the gospel. Number three, what is or was the mission or purpose of Jesus Christ coming to earth? Jesus said that his purpose in Luke chapter 4 was to heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free, heal the sick, raise the dead, and walk upon the sea, uh, uh, proclaim liberty to the captives, give sight to the blind, Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, right? That was Jesus' purpose. He said in another place, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. That's his purpose. What's his message? His message is, the time is fulfilled. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what his message was. And his message is, Go ye in all the world, preach the gospel to all creatures, make disciples of all nations, teach them to walk the way that I walk. That's his message for us today. The message is you are forgiven, and that is some good news. How can I distinguish uh, the fourth question? How can I distinguish between Jesus and Christ? Uh, the Christ refers to the eternal Logos that was with God in the beginning. That is the eternally begotten Son of God. God is always be- begetting, <laughs> and Jesus is always being begotten, and they exist in a circle dance of love. Uh, that's between God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus refers to the fleshly person that the eternal Logos became via the Incarnation. Uh, Now I don't see there there being any distinction between Jesus and the Christ. But Jesus wasn't Jesus before he was born, because he wasn't given the name Jesus until he was born. (laughs) Is the kingdom of God the same as the church? I struggle with this one. The church is the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is not limited to the church. That's how I would answer. Because kingdom is really talking about domain, and God's domain is eternal, and the church is eternal. But the church refers to the people, and the kingdom of God is larger than just the people. There's the rocks and the rills and the vales and the hills. (laughs) According to Scripture, when was time created? Uh, I don't think Scripture is concerned with answering that question, is my answer. I don't think Scripture is concerned with answering the question, when was time created? Although I could say, at the beginning of time. (laughs) I don't think Scripture was concerned. And I don't think time was created, was it? Or is time just a construct that our mind creates in order to make sense of the linear progression of things? Uh, someone else says there's nothing in the Bible about Christians confessing their sins to God for the forgiveness of their sins, including first John one, First John one, nine, doesn't say to confess your sins to, but other passages say to confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. All right. It wasn't a question, but we'll take it. Uh, he also asks, I guess it's he, I'm sorry. I don't recognize the name in Genesis. It says we are created in the image and likeness of God exactly and specifically How are we humans created in the image and likeness of God? What is the difference in Christians' and non-Christians' image and the likeness of God? That's a very good question. I refer you to C.S. Lewis's fourth book in Mere Christianity for your answer. Because I'm still unclear on that. It has something to do with Zoe life instead of Bios life. Uh, It has something to do with heightened sense of consciousness. Something to do with the breath of life, the soul. Animals have the breath of life in them in some way, but it's not the same thing as the way humans have life. So I'm not exactly sure. Uh, The second part of this question, how are we humans created in the image and likeness of God? What is the difference in Christians and non-Christians' image and likeness of God? Something about the Spirit, Colossians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, is transforming us into the image of his Son. Out of the old self, which is a corporate idea, not an individual idea, into a new self, again, which is a corporate idea, not an individual idea. One might argue that something was lost in Adam, or maybe that something was lost in Adam, and then something was lost in Cain, and then something was lost in Noah, and then something was lost in Abraham when he grew up in sin, and something was lost in you and I when we grew up in sin. But I don't know what that's like. I'm not really sure how to answer that question, to be honest with you. Uh, but I do know that all people are children of God. Acts 17 says that your poets rightly say that we are all his children, right? But there's a different sense that Christians are children of God and that we are aware of that idea, that we have been transformed into the sons and daughters of God that Jesus was the first fruit of the new creation, and we follow in line in that through our faith in Christ, and he's transforming us into the image of his dear son. So to actually be that not less human, but more human than we ever have been before? I don't know. Good questions, though. Yes, yeah, so I just sped read all that. That was 11 weeks ago. 11 weeks coming, but I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> uh, 20 minutes or so. I've got to go... <clears throat> I've got to go pick up the kiddos. I want to share with you a book I've been reading lately. It's called "Reenchanting the Text. And I'm going to try to interview this author. I've already messaged her on Twitter. Try to reach out to her and interview her about Re-Enchanting the Text, to talk about what the role of Scripture is in our life, to talk about what the role of the Holy Spirit is in our life. There, there you go, Josh. So we'll be doing that soon. Also, uh, I'm going to be—I haven't preached for like four Sundays. Uh, this next Sunday is the fourth Sunday. But I'm going to start preaching again at the 1st of August. I've got a five sermons in a row I'm going to be doing. We're going to be talking about God has not given us a spirit of fear leading to bondage, or a spirit of bondage leading to fear. We're going to talk about God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power and love and common sense or a sound mind. And then we're going to talk about Hosea. Grace is when God breaks his own rules. I th- I'm thinking about doing a lesson on the Bible. <laughs> and then... uh like, what is the Bible? And then maybe doing another lesson on the Spirit, but I haven't exactly decided on that yet. Five weeks is a long time. So I'll holler at you later. Y'all have, have a great day. Thank you for stopping by again. And sorry for my absence, but I can't help it. So <laughs> if I ever disappear, just know I'm probably dealing with stuff. And uh, my brain physically, or whatever, Like I, I feel like I physically can't even pick this thing up to hit record because I tried to so many times. All right. Peace.